0: Please be seated. Good evening. And to all of you at home, good evening, and to everyone, Merry Christmas. Uh, Luke chapter 10 this evening, Sunday night through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and we find ourselves now in chapter 10 uh, this evening. I knew we would land on an even chapter sooner or later, and uh, here we have done it. Important to realize that At this particular point, Jesus is in the final six months of his public ministry. He is progressively uh, moving the center of his ministry and the focus of his ministry from the northern region up in the Galilee, where he has spent uh, the largest part of his public ministry, uh, and now gradually making his way uh, toward Jerusalem and all that awaits him there in order to provide us with salvation. We're told that after these things, the Lord appointed seventy others also, and uh, the the reference to others also kind of takes us back to chapter nine, where Jesus sent the twelve out, sent them out in very, very similar circumstances with similar instructions, and uh, and so now he does much the same thing with a little bit of overlap, a little more elaborate his instruction. Uh, to the 70, but he sent them out two by two uh, before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And so, uh, we remember that Jesus had many, many, many more followers than just uh, the apostles. And so the night that he chose his 12 apostles, uh, he chose them from among a much larger group. And so here uh, is a portion of that larger, larger group uh, in the 70s. So he sends them out in pairs and always a good idea to go out and ministry work in pairs, probably for the sake of, uh, of their public safety, certainly a physical safety, also for sure related to being a spiritual encouragement to one another. If you've ever gone out street witnessing or whatever it might be, you realize how important it is to have one person uh, talking and ministering in, in word, and the other praying and uh, keeping one another encouraged. And then also Uh, without a doubt, related to to, uh, all of this. And certainly, uh, since they were ministering to the Jews and the Old Testament speaks that every fact is uh, confirmed by two or three witnesses. And there's something wonderful about hearing uh, and seeing two people that are uh, convinced by the same truth, are living the same truth, and having both of them uh, speak. The fact that these 70 are broken into uh, groups of two, making 35 groups, they're going to scatter out and begin to go into all of the various villages and cities there, Um, in the northern region. It gives us an idea of the sheer pace of Jesus' ministry at this time. How quickly time is uh, narrowing for Him before He will be crucified, buried, and rise again on the third day. But here you have uh, 35 pairs going from city to city to city, and they're preaching the coming of Jesus, that he is following us, and uh, he is coming to this city, and, uh, and here he is keeping the pace of then following this many people preparing uh, the way uh, for him. And uh, this, was, uh, this was the purpose of their going out, kind of as ambassadors of Jesus. And he gave them instructions, instructions that hold really ministry uh, principles for all of us even into this day. And he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. And therefore pray the Lord uh, uh, of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. And so he likens uh, all of Israel, the, or the northern, uh, the Galilee region, he likens spiritually it to being, uh, he uses a imagery that they're very familiar with, and uh, a field of grain or wheat that is completely ripened, and that is waiting to be harvested. And, and he said the problem related to the spiritual harvest that he was looking at uh, was not uh, the lack of harvest, but the lack of laborers. And so, uh, so often. Even in the midst of a lot of rejection that Jesus was facing, it speaks to us of how many people were coming uh, to know him, how many more people he knew would come and put their trust in him as the Messiah and the Savior, uh, if, if, as, as long as there were people to go and deliver the message and prepare uh, the way. Sometimes I think, and, and I have to be careful of it, and, I, and those of you who are like me uh, on any level in this regard need to be careful of it. We see what 's going on in our nation. We see the move away from uh, God, specifically the God of the Bible, and we see the problems that are uh, mounting upon us as a nation as a result of that, all of that is inevitable if you're going to turn away from God and His truth. Uh, it is only God's Word that does not create casualties in life. Uh, to violate his, casu- his Word is always to make myself a casualty on some level. But we can begin to think that it's all uh, just... Uh, a mess, and that nobody wants to hear the Gospel anymore, nobody wants to be saved anymore. But the fact of the matter is that uh, by virtue of the fact that we are sitting in this room tonight uh, is an indication that what the Bible refers to as the fullness of the Gentiles has not yet occurred. Uh, the full harvest, the last Gentile that's going to trust in Jesus Christ before the rapture of the church and then the onset of the great tribulation, it hasn't occurred. And so even in the midst of all of the mess of things, uh, there, uh, the fields are still white under harvest, people will still receive Christ when they hear uh, the gospel. And so, uh, this is the uh, the imagery that he uses here. And he instructs the, the 70 to pray uh, the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his um, harvest. Now, that's an interesting thing uh, that, that that would be the prayer, and the prayer is uh, God send more laborers out into the greatness uh, of the harvest, the greatness of the spiritual need in in the world, and Jesus knows that if we begin to pray, and what is prayer? It's a conversation with God. We begin to talk with God about the need for laborers, the need for people to serve God in their calling and His plan for their lives, in the greatness of the spiritual need of a nation or, or the world, that it isn't going to be very long uh, before nobody can pray that kind of prayer and and uh, to God without then developing a heart for the lost and then finding their place of service as well and so it, it inevitably produces someone who then enters into uh, the uh, the uh, into the harvest uh, themselves. It is important that every Christian understands that. We uh, are all called to do something that results in the expansion of the kingdom of God. And we have, each of us, been given at least one spiritual gift uh, for that to happen, uh, to expand the kingdom of God, to edify uh, those that already make up the kingdom of God. And so everyone is called to have some part in all of, uh, of that. Uh, that work. And so often a person can feel like, as they would attend a church and say, well, it looks like um, all of the needs are being met I, don't, I just come and i, I don 't really do anything. I spectate and, and uh, because it looks like it 's all uh, covered. No, the fields are whitened to harvest, and everybody is needed uh, in in the harvest field and just to seek the Lord. Lord, what have you called me to do? What have you spiritually gifted me for, and then uh, head out into that i 'd also say that if you feel like God has put something on your heart and he 's gifted you in a Certain way, and we're not yet kind of, we don't yet have that as maybe a focus of the church, or you don't see it happening. And so often a person can conclude, well, that's not something that they care about, when that, that isn't true at all. What we're waiting for is someone who has a heart like you for that particular area of ministry. We've been waiting for you. We've been praying for you. And uh, then you bring it forward and say, well, what about this? And what about having this happen? Have we ever thought about that? Yes, exactly. And how can we help you uh, get behind you to do that? And so uh, never assume that... We're not open to uh, a lot more ideas. We consider vision to be uh, very, very valuable stuff, and we'll always pray uh, about it. So, uh, the The fields are white under harvest, the problem is the shortage of laborers. And so, uh, if you're not serving the Lord in some way, you don't even know, I thought this was just getting saved and and going to church, and those are important things, of course. But there's this element of the Christian life, and uh, I would say to anyone uh, in in the church that you attend, uh, find a need and fill it. And then ask God and say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? He'll give you a burden and a soft spot for where he wants to plant you right along with your gifting and, and his calling. He said, go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Now, how exciting is that? Um, but uh, if we, if we have any other expectation, Related to uh, uh, serving the Lord, that is going to be anything other than this, then those expectations will be uh, dashed. The world is full of dangerous people, and uh, uh, I I think we live in a country now where people are convinced that everyone is kind of innately good, uh, born good, and uh, they just hit a rough spot in life. And um, if we we can just good them out of whatever condition that they're in, no, we're all born sinners. We're all bo- uh, born uh, fallen and uh, uh, the potential of danger in every single one of us apart from God. And so uh, the world is full of wolves. It's full of dangerous people. What, Je- what Jesus is saying is, listen, I'm sending you out and you're gonna, I'm feeding you to the wolves. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is I'm sending you out as, as lambs among the wolves. In other words... Even though the world is full of wolves in a dangerous place, we are never to become like the world in that way in order to reach the world. We are not to become wolves by virtue of the fact that the world is full of wolves. And so we are never to cease to be like Christ uh, never cease to cease to be what God has called us uh, to be when we minister to the world, and when you deal with wicked people and you deal with wolves and you deal it 's very easy to fall into kind of fire uh, fight fire with fire i 'll come down uh, to your level on this, and it mars the entire thing because they 're being sent out as, ba- as ambassadors we are ambassadors. And as ambassadors, we represent a kingdom. We represent a king. And the most important thing about the interaction is to carry the message, but also represent the king and the kingdom that we, uh, that we are uh, a part of. The two great weapons that the Christian carries into life and that they were carrying out in, into life is uh, truth and love. And truth is a powerful, powerful weapon in the hands of the Holy Spirit. And we say things to people, we live a certain way in front of people, we share the gospel with people, whatever it might be, we walk away, we don't see anything. But we don't see that person trying to fall asleep at the end of the day, and God has has put what uh, you have said to them on the biggest uh, speakers in quadraphonic sound that uh, they've ever heard in their life inside of their brain and inside of their heart. And that's the kind of thing that he does. But always to be delivered by love. The, the most distinctive thing about us, the two most distinctive things about us in representing the kingdom of God in this world is to carry the message we carry because it's not like anything else in the world and then to carry it with love. And people will know uh, we uh, we are uh, v- very distinctive like uh, lambs among wolves. He said uh, c- carry neither uh, money bag or knapsack or sandals and the idea is that anyone that would be, uh, as we see here in a moment, he's sending them out to preach the gospel and then also to heal people." Well, anybody that's going out with the power of God to heal within a village isn't going to be short of offers from people, inviting them to come in and stay in their home while they're ministering in that village. And, and so food and shelter, all these things would be uh, taken care of. And then greet no one uh, along the road. So this is, this is an introvert's dream right here, uh, not having to greet everybody that says good morning to you. It's not exactly what it's talking about. In the the ancient world, Middle Eastern world, uh, uh, the greetings of one another could be very, very lengthy affairs and how is uh, Joe Bacicalupi doing, and how is Aunt B doing, and Opie, and uh, Andy, and uh, uh, how… come on over here for a cup of tea and just sit down. It'll just take a moment, and then pretty soon all kinds of time… Is is being lost, and so uh, it isn't that we are uh, that they were to be, or we are to be uh, uh, uncivil, or were to be discourteous uh, toward people. But there's the recognition that we are carrying a message uh, in life. We've been given a mandate by God, and we're to stay busy about that. I would say it's an observation, an application uh, for our lives. No Christian would want to—we wouldn't want to look at our lives and then notice about our lives that um, everything that comes out of our mouths— Uh, or 90% of what comes out of our mouths and our interaction with other people uh, has to do with the 49ers or the Raiders or uh, the current COVID uh, situation or the economy or elections or any of these kind of things. These greeting kind of things that really have no uh, eternal uh, import at at all. Uh, We, nothing wrong with engaging in conversations uh, like that, but they shouldn't be, Constitute the only kind of influence and relationship that we have uh, with other people uh, god god could uh, he could have called on the angels to deliver the gospel to the whole world, but he didn 't he entrusted it to us to take it to people. Uh, Time is valuable and uh, stay focused on the message and and on uh, what God has called us to do. But whatever house you enter, uh, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon it. And if not, it will return uh, to you. And so um, he's telling them, they certainly doesn't want to them staying at an inn uh, that has uh, you know associated with ill repute so to speak and and so Find a place uh, when you're being invited in these homes, find a place uh, where uh, there is a a son of peace that is living there, where your peace then that you bring into that house uh, can then rest favorably upon the house. And it is important for us to realize that when we're uh, invited to somebody else's home or uh, whether it's an extraordinary kind of invitation or whether in that home on a weekly basis, but when we enter into a home or we enter into any environment, we bring a peace with us. We bring a peace of God uh, into that situation, and it is something that is influential in that circumstance. And 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 in that environment, and Jesus is acknowledging, of course, and instructing them that that uh, is the case. And if uh, your peace can't rest upon the house, in other words, this isn't really a place you should stay, uh, then let it return to you and and uh, find a place that that uh, is like that for you. When you do find a, a house in that city or village, remain in the same house, eating and drinking such uh, as they give. So, lima beans, Brussels sprouts, liver. Uh, I don't know what your mother was like. My mother went on a liver kick. Uh, it like the worst time, I think we were junior high age. She was going to get us all of the nutrients that are found in the vital organ of, of a cow. And make us eat it. And uh, we, my brother and I, we'd always been very creative in this regard, my twin brother. But we found every kind of way to cough. Uh, to do anything to uh, give the appearance of having eaten uh, the liver and uh, uh, not eaten uh, the liver. And so, but but here, for something to be put in front of us, we're not to be prima donnas. And I've uh, ha- been on missions trips with uh, some of you, and I've also received reports from people where you, uh, groups from here, have gone to that place and, and served the Lord and always Always the report back is that this group is uh, serious about coming down and accomplishing something. They are servant-hearted. Uh, they work hard. They're spiritual. And uh, they're not prima donnas. And uh, and, and that makes a, a, a strong uh, impact. And so, whatever they feed, whatever, that, that, that's what we'll uh, take for the labor is um, uh, 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 the labor is uh, worthy of his uh, wages, don't go from house to house looking for better meals or for better uh, accommodations. And so just eat what what they uh, give to you. And then whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as they set uh, before you. And this is, uh, one of the things that happens is, is that when God uses us to impact another person spiritually. You think about, you can remember the people that impacted you spiritually, that shared the gospel with you, that maybe prayed. you prayed to receive the Lord with them. Uh, God used them at a pivotal time uh, in your spiritual life and uh, and how important these people uh, become to us. And whenever God uses us in another person's life in that, that kind of a way, uh, there is n- almost nothing they wouldn't do for us. Uh, they're indebted in that way, and no servant of the Lord is ever to take uh, that uh, for granted. And somebody says, Oh, I w- what could I ever do for you? Well, I saw a $2,500 suit. Um, Listen, I would never ask anyone for a suit. I don't care how expensive it was. But just kind of dropping uh, these hints in order to get, uh, you know, make merchandise and and complicate the simple thing that we are called to do, concerned that they hear the message of of God and. and, and and come into contact with his love he he sent them out notice in verse 9 uh, to heal the sick in these cities and to say to them the kingdom of god has come near to you, So that's, imagine you're just waking up in a little uh, sleepy village or a small town in Galilee, and somebody, two men arrive within the city, and they say the kingdom of God has come near to you. Speaking of Jesus is uh, approaching the city. Well, it would definitely get your attention. This kind of thing didn't happen Uh, every day and and so they were to come and deliver that message prepare them for jesus's coming and then to heal the sick and of course the healing of the sick would have been a, a supernatural witness or testimony uh, to the message, the truthfulness, the veracity uh, of the message that they were delivering, God's kind of, uh, of stamp that this, uh, this message has come from Him. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, so that's a reality. Go out into the streets when, when you're leaving This isn't something that you do in the furthest bathroom of the house. He says, go out into the streets, uh, visually, publicly, and say the very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you as a witness against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. We talked about a little bit with the Twelve, that when people reject Christ, we are not to do anything that minimizes the seriousness of the decision that uh, they have made. I mentioned the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons and... Specifically, with the uh, talking to them on the doorstep, and I'll uh, usually take them to the passage that uh, where Jesus said, Unless you believe that I am, I am is one of the names of God, he's declaring himself to be God. Unless you believe uh, that I am, you will die in your sins. And so I'll explain to them, you don't believe that He is God, that He is the I Am. And as a result of it, for all of the religion, you will die in your sins. And that's what Jesus has said. Because again, I don't want it to be like, oh, it's a nice, cordial, little religious discussion that we had, and there's really no, nothing at stake here. And, uh, and this was the thing, to make people realize it's a big deal Uh, to uh, reject the kingdom of God that is found uh, in his son. And then to declare to them, nevertheless, know this, remember this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. Uh, The message was delivered to you. The access to the kingdom of God was delivered to you, founded in in faith in his son. You think about how many people this can be uh, said of where the kingdom of God comes near to them, but they never enter into it. It's not enough for it to come near. It needs to come near, and then I accept the invitation of God to enter his kingdom through faith in Christ. But I say to you, uh, to the disciples here, that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for the city that rejects Jesus on this preaching tour that they were on. Worse than Sodom. It, it, It will be more tolerable in that day, the day of judgment, for Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah are the uh, words that are used to describe uh, a city or a people that has uh, set themselves up in their sin and, and the vilest of sin in violation of the Word of God for the judgment of God. And yet, for all of the wickedness, all of the debauchery, all of the open uh, lasciviousness of the city of Sodom, uh, to reject Jesus Christ is a far greater sin. Because all of the sins of Sodom can be forgiven. Uh, the consequences are temporal if we will trust in Christ But the sin that these cities might commit in rejecting Christ, that is a sin that is eternal in in its consequences, and it is greater. Amazing to think about it in our own minds. And here it is, it's right there in red, isn't it? Doesn't matter if it's red or black, if it's in the Bible. But here is Jesus talking about it, and he speaks to this world, and all, uh, all of the, the Sodom-like uh, side of the world, but all of the people that are uh, moral and good and kind and all of this, but still sinners, falling short of, of the, uh, the kingdom of God. That uh, to reject Jesus Christ is a greater sin than what was done uh, in Sodom. The judgment will be greater because rejecting Jesus is the single, by far, greatest sin that a person can commit uh, in life. And then he uh, moves on here into uh, uh, pronouncing his woes upon Chorazin and upon uh, Bethsaida. He said, Woe to you, Chorazin. Uh, Woe to you, Bethsaida. And these were cities that were in the region uh, around the city of Capernaum, up in the north by uh, the Sea of Galilee. For if the mighty works that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon were pagan cities. They were Gentile cities. They weren't Jewish cities. They didn't have the privileges of Chorazin, and Bethsaida as, as Jewish, uh, Jewish uh, cities. And uh, knowing the Jewish Scriptures, um, having received firsthand the message of Jesus concerning salvation, Jesus said, if what uh, the works, the mighty works had been done in you, if they'd been done in Tyre and Sidon, absolutely pagan cities, they would have repented long ago uh, sitting in sackcloth And uh, ashes, and so Jesus had done many, many miracles in Bethsaida and also in Chorazin, and yet in the Bible we have no record of any of those miracles. And it proves John's point as he closed his gospel that uh, if the if they were to write down all of the miracles that Jesus did and all of the things that he taught he said, uh, for impact, uh, that I suppose that the entire world could not contain them. And so what we're given in the, the Gospels and in the Scriptures is a very selected by the Holy Spirit portrait of the public uh, ministry of Jesus in his miracles and in his teaching. So great miracles had been done uh, in them. And he said, but it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon, uh, Gentile cities at the judgment uh, than for you. And you, Capernaum, who uh, who are exalted to heaven, you shall be brought down to Hades. Why would he be so hard on Capernaum? The reason he's hard on Capernaum is Capernaum was uh, after uh, Jesus left Nazareth, the the city of of his uh, youth and his upbringing, Capernaum became the headquarters of his public ministry. And uh, it almost becomes... uh, So many miracles that are recorded for us by the Holy Spirit were done in Capernaum. I think fully ten are recorded that were done in the city is, is kind of a cross section of it to give us an idea of just the sheer manifestation of power that Jesus was demonstrating in the city. In other words, everybody in the city should have uh, turned to God and become a follower uh, of of Jesus, and yet they didn 't and so he said uh, you 're exalted to heaven because of the privileges that you have enjoyed and uh, 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 but you will be brought down to Hades. And he who hears, uh, and so this is, this is his uh, message to Chorazin and Bethsaida and also to uh, Capernaum. And so he kind of shifts here now to address those that uh, are uh, going to reject him. I think it is, and the whole principle here that is, is in this little section is that with privilege, Uh, comes responsibility, that the greater our spiritual privileges as a people, then the greater our responsibility to handle those privileges uh, properly and uh, in a way that these three cities uh, did not. I do think that it's sobering, at least it is to me, to realize that uh, for us as Christians in the United States of America, we're going to be held accountable for our spiritual blessings in a way that Christians in the rest of the world uh, will not. Uh, for the privilege of owning an entire Bible that we can have on our laps. Uh, The freedom to worship, the freedom to serve, the freedom to evangelize, the freedom to fellowship as we're doing uh, here tonight, the freedom to give, freedom of, of Christian services. And it is a good thing, and I I challenge myself with this on a regular basis. I ask myself, and it's one of the things that I liked about that book that I recommended, The Insanity of God, Um, but I, I like to ask myself, what would a Christian, and specifically for me, what would a pastor in another part of the world do with the resources and the blessings and the privileges that I possess in this culture that they do not. And in that, there is that recognition that I will face a, a, a stricter judgment, not in terms of sin or getting into heaven, uh, but with the greater privilege, there's a greater responsibility, and I will be judged uh, more strictly as a result uh, uh, of that. And And uh, when our daughters were growing up, and they were in their high school years, I would occasionally remind them uh, that, that, that the, their future competition in terms of employment and, and all on the other side of, uh, of school uh, weren't merely the students that were sitting in their classrooms uh, with them at, in their high schools in, in, uh, in Modesto, but the students attending a high school in China and in South Korea, and in Japan, or or wherever it might be. So that's pretty intense father on on that that side of uh, of things. But the realization that the world is very, very small, and it's very competitive, and this is the way to uh, look at things on a worldwide kind of basis. And in the same way, we can think of ourselves as being uh, great Christians just because we have so much Christian stuff we have so many bibles so many versions of the bibles we got so many radio shows on we've got so much technology we've got so many commentaries so much is in in english and, uh, and 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 all of these kind of things and we can think that because of all of our wealth and our resources and our power and our influence and all of this that that uh, we are the standard for christians in christian service uh, in all of the world but, but what would our Christian life look like in terms of, of stewardship in the eyes of a, a, a Christian in China, or in Pakistan, or in Egypt, or South Sudan, or Cuba, who might look and say, if I had uh, even uh, half a shot, at the freedoms and and the the resources that they have, uh, I I would give myself uh, fully into them, and I and this isn't like a guilt got you point that I'm trying to make, but to to realize, and sometimes we think I, I'm just uh, I never assume I'm automatically going to hear, well done thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. I just don't. I don't assume that because I don't know how much gifting God has given me, how much grace He has poured out on my life. I don't know in the light of all of the privileges that I enjoy that make it uh, easier and more effective to be a pastor in this culture, how that will square against others who serve the Lord in this capacity in other parts of the world. And so it keeps me alert It keeps me awake. It keeps me from falling asleep as an American Christian and assuming that we are the best in the world and when those that are doing far more with far less uh, can be esteemed uh, much uh, uh, more highly. In, uh, in the eyes of the Lord. And so to whom much is given, much is required, it is a privilege to have much. I'm not putting that down. But as long as we realize, we will uh, uh, be held accountable for uh, a, 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 how, we, how effectively we use that. And then he says, he who uh, hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects uh, uh, me rejects him who sent me. And so Jesus reminds them, I'm sending you out as ambassadors. And uh, so whatever people do with this uh, message of the kingdom of God, whether they accept it or whether they reject it, it is no ultimate reflection upon you. You're just the messenger. The ultimate reflection is uh, upon uh, me and upon uh, my uh, uh, my father, the one that had uh, sent both Jesus who had sent them and the father that had sent uh, Jesus. And then the 20, they returned, and they returned with joy. Of course, serving the Lord is a joy, and uh, you get hammered to death uh, doing it, but uh, that, uh, that's how we learn. And so it's, it's not all easy, but there is a joy and in serving the Lord, being used by God, one of the greatest feelings in life, and they had experienced. And so they return after this uh, missionary kind of journey, and they return with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. That's an interesting Kind of thing to uh, rabbit to pull out of their hat to be impressed with about what uh, they were doing, but it's a pretty heavy thing. I mean, you think about it: where you go out and Jesus has told you now deliver the message of the kingdom and uh, also uh, heal. And then here we see additionally that they have the power to cast out demons. And you're casting out demons right and left for the the glory of God. Well, it'd be something that you'd be pretty impressed about. And you'd you'd want to uh, kind of uh, decompress or uh, talk it through with Jesus. So they were very excited about it. And Jesus said to them, And in terms of this ability and authority over Satan uh, that they were so impressed with, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And Satan, and this of course speaks of Jesus, uh, of Satan's initial fall as the anointed cherub. As he uh, sin, uh, I am, I will, I will, I will, found in his heart in his rebellion against God and then leading uh, uh, what appears to be a third of the angels in that, that rebellion. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from the position that he was created uh, for. And behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all of the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So if the deacons will just bring the serpents and the scorpions out, uh, I think we've got enough uh, for one for each of you, and uh, we're going to put this to the test. So Jesus isn't saying to have services where you handle snakes and do this kind of thing. He's telling them that when you are in my will and doing what I have sent you uh, to do... Uh, then, uh, then, then I'm going to take care of you no matter what kind of things uh, rise up uh, uh, against you to hurt you. Nevertheless, he said, do not rejoice uh, in this, that spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven, written in the book of life. So he said, that's a cause for real joy. I mean... Pushing the demons around, okay, it's pretty heady stuff, but it doesn't compare at all to the real source of joy in our lives, and that is that our names are written in heaven in that book of life. So you stop and think about that. Here's Christmas season and everything and, and, and all. and uh, But always, no matter what the circumstances of the world are, what the circumstances of our life are, here is a cause for joy that lies beyond the reach of life's circumstances. And that is that our names as Christians have been written in the book of life. And so to just stop for a moment and just the hustle and bustle and craziness and pace of life in 2020, soon to be 2021, if God tarries, and good riddance, right? But... Uh, but to stop and to to think about the fact that there is a book in heaven and if you could access it, you could go to it and go down those lines and lines and lines and lines until you find your name there because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's a cause for joy. So in our hearts right now, Jesus is saying to take a moment to just celebrate with joy the fact that our names are written in, in that book. And in that hour, Jesus, He rejoiced in the Spirit. And this is interesting because that word rejoiced in the uh, original language, it's even stronger than rejoice. It means just ultra-rejoiced in uh, in the Spirit. It's the only place uh, in, in the Gospels where we are told that Jesus rejoiced. Now, it doesn't mean that He never rejoiced except this one time, because joy is all a part of the Old Testament and a a a relationship with uh, uh, God the Father and and all, but there's something about what happens here and the fact that this produces uh, this quality of joy in the Spirit, in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit uh, wants us to uh, take Uh, notice of and Jesus then in this uh, just filled with this uh, rejoicing in the spirit he says as he prays to the father I thank you father lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise these spiritual things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them to babes Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight, and all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who uh, the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one whom the Son wills to reveal. Uh, him and so Jesus celebrates over the fact that the truth of the gospel is uh, uh, it, it is hidden from the wise and the prudent and revealed then uh, to uh, babes. So it tells us here that not everyone was rejecting uh, Jesus's message and his offer of salvation. The wise and the prudent rejected. Uh, Jesus and his message by and large, Uh, but the common people, they understood the significance of uh, the offer and they became his uh, disciples. And, And what produced this kind of rejoicing in Jesus? The very thought that people like you and me who have put our faith in him as our Savior and that we have done so in a sea of rejection, Uh, In this world, a sea of indifference in this world, and a willingness to repent and to follow Him. And I think it's wonderful to realize that our simple faith in Him uh, as our Savior, it produces joy in His heart. The single greatest thing, speaking of Jesus here, but also the Father, the single greatest thing that we can do in order to bless the heart of God the Father, is to put our trust in His Son as our Savior. And and Jesus here, as He He looks at this, and and He looks at the kind of person that is turning to Him, is accepting the message, the kind of person that is rejecting it, and And he rejoices uh, over what it is that he's he's seeing. I think additionally, it's very uh, easy in our service to the Lord to just notice all of the people that uh, don't believe and don't accept. And we lose sight of all that uh, do. And that's easy to happen. I remember uh, talking with a head of a missions organization, very, very influential missions organization. And you would think that this person would be very, very satisfied with how God uh, had used him in missions. And, um, but what he was doing, he felt, was a drop in the bucket in, in the context of seven billion people. Everybody that serves the Lord is aware of how much uh, more could be done, or how many people reject this message. and and yet to realize there are good things that are happening as well. Uh, people are coming to know the Lord, and so Jesus rejoiced in the fact uh, that the truth about him was revealed to babes but hidden to the wise and it doesn 't mean uh, that, G- that God purposely hides the gospel or the truth uh, from, uh, uh, from some and then he reveals it to others, and then some people can be saved as a result, and others cannot, uh, cannot be saved uh, matthew 's Gospel records where Jesus said, "Uh, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus will take anyone that will come uh, to him with their, their spiritual need. But what it does mean is that Jesus here is praising the Father for the way that he has chosen to save mankind, and God has provided mankind with a salvation that reveals itself to the humble and it hides itself from the proud and from the self-important. And and that's a beautiful thing as Jesus looked at it and said, look at how this message, the kind of person that gets it and gravitates to it, and then the kind of person uh, who won't because you require humility in order to be saved. And he's glorying uh, in that uh, fact. Sometimes, and I think we've talked about it earlier in the gospel, sometimes uh, even, uh, even portrayed more recently in the United States, but um, all of us Christians are just uneducated, ignorant hicks and uh, stupid enough to believe uh, the Bible and to believe that God created the heavens and the earth and to believe in Christ and uh, to gather together the way that we do and live the kind of life that we do and, and uh, that they're just an uneducated lot. And it's an easy way for the accomplished and the educated people to take and just blow off Christianity and say, no, it's for that that kind of a person. And what they don't realize is Jesus rejoices here is that it's an indictment against Them. It it isn't because of their great intellect or their great education or their great talents or their great giftings. It's because they are unwilling to humble themselves before God's message and receive that gospel. It is so magnificent for how, how God knows us and He knows mankind and people. To, uh, to do things in such a way that we even expose ourselves in terms of uh, how we handle and how we receive what God has provided uh, to us in the gospel. And then uh, Jesus, we're told, uh, He uh, turned to His disciples and He said privately to them, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. What were they seeing? They are seeing Jesus, number one. Uh, seeing the, the, the power of God uh, delivering people of demons, healing uh, them. He said, blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see. Talking about uh, Elisha, Elijah. Talking about Jeremiah, Daniel, uh, King David, King Josiah, Hezekiah. Desired to see what you see and they ha- have not seen it. And to hear what you hear and have not heard it. And so the entire All of the prophets, godly prophets and kings in the Old Testament, would have given anything they had in order to be in the middle of what these disciples were in the middle of. They were all looking ahead, looking uh, only able to see the Messiah as he was revealed in the Scriptures. And they got to walk with Jesus day by day, listen to His teaching, the fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures. And what a privilege uh, that these uh, 70 had in that, and everyone who followed uh, Jesus at that time. And you just think about, in terms of our privilege, uh, to own a New Testament, to own a Bible, again, to have it on our lap. What would Daniel have done to have a New Testament? What would Isaiah have done to have a New testament and what would they what would be the sense of privilege and the sense of uh, of uh, 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 of just inexpressible privilege in their life uh, to be able to, instead of looking uh, darkly, so to speak, through the Old Testament portrait of the Messiah who was to come to be able to do what we do, and that is look back upon Jesus' life, back upon the death burial and his resurrection, and to see how the entire thing comes together. And the revelation that we have, again, the, the tremendous privilege that is ours to be the children of God under this new covenant and with the kind of revelation that we have. And again, not as a guilt gotcha, but just to stir that up within us and to, to not lose sight of the fact that the greatest, some of the greatest men and women in the history of God's people uh, never ever uh, have read, of course, the Gospel according to Matthew or the Gospel of John. And we can pick up the Bible and read it any time that we want and to do it with the Holy Spirit. And you think it, 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 it's, uh, sometimes we, we look and say, boy, I, the, you know, the really home-run place to be would have been to be with Jesus during that three and a half years of His public ministry. And, and uh, I wouldn't have turned it down. It would have really been something. But you remember Jesus speaking of the fact to the disciples, about how He would send His Holy Spirit, and that our portion, to have the Scriptures, to look back upon Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and the entirety of His life and teaching as it's recorded in the Word of God, to have the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures, and Jesus being opened up to us in a supernatural way through those two things, We have a greater revelation and a greater privilege than even the disciples had. And so, so much about this passage speaks to uh, the privileges that are uh, ours. The principles related to ministry, but the privileges, incredible privileges that are ours. But we have so many privileges that it's hard not to fall asleep to them. It's hard to maintain a sense of awe related to them. That's why we see in the Old Testament continually the hardest thing that the children of Israel ever dealt with in walking with God was periods of prosperity. Always periods of prosperity they apostatize. And because having these blessings and and having them so richly and, and so many of them, it is very easy to fall asleep to the privilege. And these verses and passages like this that keep us awake to it. I'd like the worship team to come up and uh, we'll stop there tonight and we'll pick things up with the um, uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. But to close us in a song or two and and uh, as we uh, finish the, the evening just meditating upon him and upon what Jesus spoke to them and what speaks to us here tonight.